What makes me feel most alive? You know, what is it that just you would do if you didn't get paid to do it? Welcome to the Fuel Your Soul podcast. I'm Kay. And I'm Taylor. Kay and I are friends who are united in our passion for our Catholic faith, which is how this podcast came to be. Every Wednesday, we're talking all about faith, dating, friendships, career decisions, and more. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, wine, or a cocktail and get ready to fuel your soul. This is the Fuel Your Soul podcast. Hello, Feel Your Soul listeners, Kay here. In today's episode, we are speaking with our very first podcast guest, Father Shetta. As you'll soon hear, Father Shetta is not only a very good family friend of Taylor's, but also a very good role model of what it is to live a faith-centered life. We've split our interview with Father Shetta into two different segments. The focus of today's episode is on discovering your vocation and finding meaning in your career. And trust me, friend, you're going to want a notebook out for this episode because Father Shetta gives all the good advice. So without further ado, let's get into it. Father, how long have I known you? <laughs> Too long. Uh, <laughs> probably at least, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Yeah, 20, it's 20 been years, a long yeah. time. Um, you were a little you know, girl. When I first met you, you were uh, like in first or second grade, I think, when I first came to your parish. Yes, that's it's really life full circle. And we'll get into um, kind of how it came full circle and how you ended up um, at my our college ministry at UNI. But um, my favorite story, Father Shetta, of UNI is the parish pool party. Oh, I was yeah. Prob- <laughs> I was trying probably- to forget that. <laughs> I was probably I think you have to tell the full story. Oh, I will. So I was just a little, you know, competitive whippersnapper. And I challenged father 20 to a 25 meter swim. And of course, I kicked his butt. And I think he resembled more of a buoy than an actual swimmer. <laughs> it wasn't my finest hour. <laughs> oh, it was no. a fun party, though. Oh, yeah, we, had a lot, we had a lot of fun in that parish. I, I enjoyed Holy Family Parish very much. Another great memory, I don't know, was it for your, my parents' 25th wedding anniversary and your, how many year ordination you did Same. communion? 20, yeah, we're both, uh, your parents were married two weeks after I was ordained. Yep, so that is the same, same year. And I'm still waiting to be invited on one of your trips. Where uh, have you been? <laughs> Guatemala, Ireland, Italy. Yeah, for a 25th, we went to... Um, 25th was to uh, Italy, Amalfi Coast, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I guess you'll have to come to New York City when this pandemic is over with them and visit me. All right. I'll <laughs> wait for the pandemic to be over. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, how did you know you were going to be a priest? Well, you know, that's that could be a three-hour story. Uh, I'll try to summarize it. Uh, basically, it's the only thing I could get excited about. Um, it wasn't so much that I came to Jesus, more that Jesus came to me uh, in various ways. And um, so I, I never really thought about it until I was a um, high school senior. And two things happened that year that really changed things for me. One was um, Pope John Paul II came to Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, he was Pope for only about a year, young, dynamic, rock star kind of guy. 
And I had absolutely no interest in going to see him. But my dad said, well, if the Pope comes to Iowa, you're going. And so he had mass at, outside of Des Moines. And it was, it was just amazing because it was the first time I realized I belonged to something really big and beautiful. Um, you know, all I knew before then was my small little parish, which was really good. It was very good, you know, how people uh, cared about each other, took care of each other. Uh, but it was very small. And I realized that day that I belonged to something really big and beautiful. And it was the first day I ever thought about being a priest was on the bus ride home that night. Um, I just, it's something stirred in my heart. Um, later that year, I was a page in the Iowa um, Senate. And so I was actually Lieutenant Governor's page. I ran the microphones for the Iowa Senate, which is pretty cool at the age of 18. And during that time, uh, one of my, my oldest brother had some health, serious health problems. And when I would go home on the weekends to the hospital to visit, uh, I saw a lot of suffering and especially in the waiting room. And I knew that somehow my plan was to go to Iowa State to begin ag business. I kind of had it all planned out, but somehow I knew that my life had to respond to the suffering. I couldn't just close my eyes and pretend I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. That somehow my life had to respond to that suffering that I saw in the, especially in the waiting room. And just as I prayed about it and as Christ became more real to me, uh, not just somebody I read about, but somebody who um, I entered into a personal relationship with, and especially through the Eucharist was very important to me at that time too. Um, I just at the last minute switched and did not go to Iowa State. Uh, which is ironic because I ended up there for 17 years anyway. Um, but I, I did go to Iowa State and I went to Loris College in Dubuque. And there, once I kind of met a lot of uh, priests, very happy, healthy, holy priest, and I, I could see myself doing it. And so other people saw it in me. It's, it really is the thing that uh, I'm excited about. I continue. I've been a priest over 32 years. I continue to be very excited about it. Uh, being a priest. I love it. Um, but it was, uh, in some ways, I look back on it, it wasn't so much that I chose this as much as I was led to it mm-hmm. uh, through the circumstances of life and listening to the Lord in prayer. And like as a young person, how can you get clear on what God wants for you? What are like some things that we can, you know, look to or, or pray on um, to really uncover what God wants for us? Well, uh, so I right now I'm... Um, I'm the priest for the Catholic Student Center at the University of Northern Iowa, Go Panthers. Uh, and I also, um, and I was at Iowa State University for 17 years at the student center there. And so most of my priesthood has been working with, with college students who are trying to figure out, um, you know, God's call in their life. Uh, I see there's a big difference between a job and a vocation. A job is kind of what you do to make money so you can do what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, vocation is something that God calls you to. It's It's your way of living your discipleship mm. in the world. And um, so it's not just a churchy thing. I think people often think when they hear of religious vocation, they think of churchy things, being on committees, that type of thing. Uh, you know, the two people who in my life who had a great sense of vocation, um, my dad was a farmer, a small mm-hmm. farmer. And he, you know, on occasion, he would talk about uh, that he was proud that he fed the world's hungry, uh, that he would talk about putting in waterways, uh, in fields, uh, because he said, this isn't my land, it's God's land. You know, he had a real acute sense of farming as a vocation. 
Uh, my mom uh, is a nurse and she worked for many years uh, at a nursing home in my hometown. And, you know, it was clear when she would talk about it that for one, it really, she loved doing it. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, and that's really difficult work too. Um, and the other thing was that she, those people were not just numbers to her, they were people and she loved them. It wasn't just simply a job that she did, but she felt called by God to care for people sometimes who can be a little cantankerous toward the end of life. And it's, it's not an easy experience to walk through. And she just had that gift of being able to do it. So when you ask how do young people find their vocation? Um, you know, I always ask three questions of college students. I say, uh, the first one is what do other people see in me? Uh, you know, when we grow up, we kind of learn about ourselves by comparing ourselves to others. Uh, for example, you swim faster than me, so I, I learned that I. It's <laughs> not going to be my <laughs> And that's just a natural way that we learn about ourselves. But there's a danger to that, you know, the old expression "compare and despair," that sometimes we over compare ourselves with other people and we forget what God has given us. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of times, other people can see something in us before we see it in ourselves. You know, in those those four months in Des Moines when I was a page there was at least three secretaries to uh, Iowa senators who asked me if I'd ever thought about being a priest independently of each other. And I had, no, you know, I said, no, I'm going to Iowa state. I'm doing this. I had my plan. Here's the plan. Well, after the third one asked, I, you know, I started thinking about it. Um, and so they saw something in me. I wish I would have asked them why they asked me that because I never did, but you know, they saw something in me before I saw it in myself. So I think what other people see in me, that's kind of the external call of the church. Uh, The second question I ask people is, what makes me feel most alive? You know, what is it that just you would do if you didn't get paid to do it? Uh, What is it that just makes you, that energizes you, that gives you joy, uh, that makes you feel alive? And that takes some life experience and it takes prayer to really sort out, you know, what are those things that it seems to fit who I am as a person? Um, and so for me that, you know, that developed over years by, you know, studying theology and being involved in campus ministry and mm-hmm. the things that I got involved in, there was a reason I was drawn to those things, um, because it fit who I am. And so, um, it makes me feel alive and, uh, being a priest, I, I love it because it makes me, that's, that's how God created me. Okay. The third question that I ask that I think is probably the one that is probably the missed the most is where am I needed? You know, that the Lord, uh, it's not just, you know, what other people see in me, what makes me feel alive, but where am I needed? Where, what is needed in the church and in the world today the most? Um, and so uh, that's, a, that's the third, I think that's the call of the kingdom um, in terms of where does God want me to spend my life? How does he want me? You know, vocation is the best way of loving that gives us the most joy. For most Catholics, they're called to marriage, uh, which is certainly full of heroic love and lots of sacrifice and a lot of joy. Um, not everybody, I think we all would presume everybody's called to marriage. Uh, I think for some of us, our way of loving is not as deep, but it's wider. So that when I talk about the shape of love is that for me, um, I, I think I could have been happily married. I, uh, parenting, I think, would have been certainly... Uh, you know, something would have been very rewarding to me. But the way that God created my heart wasn't so much to uh, give my life totally to a few number of people, but to give my life 
uh, to many more people, a, a, a wider sense of loving. Uh, and I think, you know, a number of people are called to love that way. Not I absolutely, I absolutely love that you say that. And I especially feel, um, you know, for girls that are K and I's age, we get very discontent in our singleness where we feel mm-hmm. like, you know, I've been called to get married. Why isn't it happening? Why has it happened? And we just get so frustrated with God. But, you know, to your point, like what can we do for the world and how can we make a difference instead of what can we do for one person right now? And really like trying to change your mindset to that, I think is so powerful. Yeah. And also to recognize that, uh, Every yes to something is also a no to some other things. You know, to say yes to marriage means no to a lot of things. It's, um, you know, your life certainly changes. And uh, if marriage doesn't do it, being a parent certainly will. Uh, and so to, and to embrace that, the fact that when I say yes to something, I'm saying no to some other things. Uh, to be able to embrace that and to not be, uh, you know, the, the old thing of, you know, trying to have it all, do it all, experience it all. Uh, that's fine. I understand that that desire, uh, but eventually, for life to have meaning, you have to kind of give yourself completely to someone or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just saying that you know, for some of us, we're actually called to love uh, deeply as celibates rather than in married life. And um, and again, that takes a number of years to figure out. Yeah, and going back to talking about vocation as a as a, a career and not a job. Um, and talking about your parents, how they had very clear vocations as a farmer and a nurse, and looking at Kay and I's moms as teachers, it has such a correlation to helping others and doing that kingdom work God has. But I look at what I'm doing and what Kay is doing in day to day, it's much harder to find purpose and meaning in doing kingdom work. So, what can you tell? Um, people that are in business that, you know, like me that are in fashion, that seems superficial. How do I know that that's something or a desire that God has put into my heart? Well, I mean, knowing you, you have talk about something, get you excited. It's fashion, you know, and it's, and it's been that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, God put that desire in your heart, uh, how to use it for his glory. I mean, I, I would ask, you know, for one, I think there's just a real benefit in in helping people feel beautiful. I mean, um, and and uh, beauty is of God. You know, we always say the the three pathways to God: the the good, the true, the beautiful. I think increasingly we realize beauty is a pathway to God. A lot of people connect God through beauty, uh, through creation, through the arts, through music, through all all the ways that uh, beauty is is present in our world. And that includes fashion and things. I, I wouldn't underestimate that, that that's, that's uh, you're serving people in a very real way that way. The other thing you might ask is, you know, who, who in this world could benefit from your talent? Um, so, you know, producing clothes, for example, in a way that really uh, gives a fair and just compensation to those who produce the clothes, uh, to not simply have a profit over people mo- motive which you see in corporations, you know, just sort of this, you know, it's always profit over people. And so we kind of exploit a lot of people, you know, as as you know, I've been to Guatemala twice and Honduras twice. And, you know, when you, uh, you know, what we call poverty here is not like poverty there. It's a whole Mm -hmm. different thing, but to say, okay, is there a way that my company can, can lift those people up, uh, can give them a decent, decent shot at life. Um, to really think outside the box of simply profit at all 
cost. And you know, to put people over profit, I think, uh, how can that happen in, uh, in what you would think of as secular jobs, but really it's, uh, and even treating your employees well, um, you know, there's always things with, um, that come up in people's lives and to, to again, put people over profit uh, that's a great service to the kingdom of God. It's not a churchy thing, but I'm trying to get away from this idea of vocation as being just simply churchy things mm-hmm. and to say, okay, these are things that uplift people's humanity. Uh, and beauty and fashion can do that. I think if you're throughout your life, if you're listening to God uh, speak to you, uh, he'll, he'll show you ways to make that happen, to use those gifts, those considerable gifts uh, to give glory to him. I love that. I think that's, yeah, I think that's great advice, especially since there's so many of us who don't feel called to go into the church. I think we can all relate to that. Um, Father, what kind of advice could you give to maybe our listener out there who is graduated now and moved to a big city? She's following her calling, but she's really lonely. She feels like she's on the right path but it's, it's kind of sad, I guess, when you're in that lonely stage, what advice would you give to her? Well, it's interesting. I, like I said, this is my 20th year working with college students and uh, an experience that I've had multiple times is probably about, oh, eight months after they graduate, I'll get a call late at night. uh, And somebody say, yeah, it's, it's, this is so-and-so and and say, Hey, how you doing? They say, Oh, I'm doing great. And I says, no, you're not. Nobody ever call. Nobody ever calls a priest to tell me how great you're doing. You only call a priest to tell you. I have to something. change that. That's kind of sad. <laughs> I, always, I always laugh. I said, "No, there's a reason you're calling me, and um, let's talk about it, and let's be honest about it." And they tell me the same three things. Uh, number one is I feel like I'm working all the time. Well, it is an adjustment going from university to uh, your first job because often your first job is 50, 60 hours a week, entry level mm-hmm. job. And so it's not just like going to class for a few hours a day and having the rest of the day free. They feel very tied down with work. Uh, the second thing they tell me is that they, they find their work kind of boring. They're kind of used to the intellectual stimulation of the university. Uh, and, you know, they're kind of put in a position where uh, it might not be as interesting as they had hoped. The third thing that I hear a lot is, uh, wow, I'm really lonely. You know, I have coworkers, but they're all married with kids. Uh, their lives are different. I don't know how to connect with people. Um, and I just feel lonely. And what I, what I say there is that third one, um, to stick with it, to not run away from those feelings, because um, the temptation is to just uh, get online, to just find this endless distraction, something to keep us from feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. And I think if people enter into that experience, which is, it can be kind of painful, but to sit with it and to not run away from it, what happens is, especially if, if we learn how to, to pray through it, the Lord turns that loneliness into solitude, which is, uh, solitude is the capacity, the ability to be alone without being lonely. I think for me, I, it just came maybe a little more easy because I grew up on a farm and I spent a lot of my childhood actually working alone uh, out in fields and doing chores and things. And so I've always been more comfortable with that, uh, maybe more than some, but that, that to not, and what happens there is when you, when you can turn your loneliness into solitude, uh, 
ironically, that's actually the best preparation to be in a healthy relationship because then you, you a healthy relationship with someone else or with God or, uh, well, both, but especially with, with another person, because, um, then you, if you're called to marriage, then you choose to be married rather than need to be married, Mm. which is a different thing. And I, you know, we talked about the, the image of the trees that a good relationship is like two trees that's standing up and the branches touch and the roots touch. And it's not like two trees that are far apart. There's an interaction between them, but that if you take one tree away, the other tree can still stand on its own. What that's a healthy relationship. What a lot of relationships are like, especially early on, is more like two trees that lean against each other. And if you take the one tree away, the other tree starts falling, which is where you get the rebound. You know, two weeks later, they're with somebody else. Um, It could have been anybody else, just somebody to prop the tree up. So I've had this experience a lot with college students where, you know, they go through a really bad breakup or something and they I had one student at Iowa State who who's a great guy, but he's broke up with his high school high school girlfriend. And he you know came what we call me. those father shutter in today's world? What? Serial what? daters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he, he was really he was really just he says I can't eat, I can't sleep, and I knew him really well, um, and I actually know his family. And finally, I said, uh, "Here's my professional advice: get a life." <laughs> I said, you know. Here you've caved your whole identity. You're, you gave all your life into this into this person who doesn't, for one, treat you that well. Uh, maybe this is God's will that you broke up, you know. And he did. He actually, uh, I said, developed good friendships in his life with both men and women that were healthy, not using people. Uh, he developed interest. He he kind of grew as a person a lot. It wasn't easy for him because he his whole life was revolved around this high school girlfriend. You know, it was interesting. Then he invited me to help with his wedding a number of years later. And I got the, the best card from him afterwards saying, uh, thanks for kicking my butt when I was a sophomore in college, because I would have never found such a remarkable woman, mm-hmm. you know, without, without going through that period of putting my tree up, yes. you know, you of have to my stand strong person. alone. Yes. You cannot yeah. carve your identity into someone else. The only thing that can indi- uh, define you is God. I'm a firm believer that until you feel full, you can't expect someone else to fill your glass up. Yeah. And I think that's what the culture tells us to do. But, you know, if you you have that capacity for solitude, that ability to to be okay with being alone and to really have a sense of God's presence in your life, that you're enough, you're you're okay. uh, You don't need, excessively need other things or other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're content. You know, how many people are content? That's really kind of a, pretty rare commodity these days of people just being content with life. I don't need more of anything to be happy. Everything I need to be happy is already in my life. I think we put the pressure. Yeah, we put the pressure on ourselves, I feel, um, a lot. It's all, you know, self-imposed that we need more this, more that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I just think that's an endless search that leads us to being perpetually frustrated and think thinking that happiness is somewhere out there rather than inside. And I think just, uh, you know, a lot of that too is having a good relationship with God uh, to say that I don't, uh, to to keep me understanding that I don't need things out there because I, I'm everything I need to be happy in my life is already in my life. 
I love that. I'm just going to repeat that quote for our listeners. Happiness isn't outside, it's inside. I think that is such a great thing to reflect on and so wise. And it's also a choice. You know, I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, or somebody said that, you know, people are as happy as they choose to be. Um, you know, I know people, I know people who are in nursing homes who are really happy because they've chosen it. You could choose to be miserable. You could choose to be self full of self pity, but they, they choose to be happy. And I, I do think it's a choice. It's not, we're not a victim as much as we sometimes uh, think that we are. We make choices and part of those choices is not, we can't control a lot of what happens to us, but we certainly can control how we respond to it and make, you know, make choices that, um, that make us not so vulnerable to what happens during the course of an average day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're, you know, what we were talking about, the girl or the guy that's moved to the big city, that's lonely, what can we do when we do feel lonely instead of, you know, always seeking, you know, instant gratification, you know, calling up someone to grab a beer, or do something like what can we do to sit with ourselves and God that to practice, you know, being okay, being in solitude? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, I think um, we're, we're used to a lot of external stimulation. So the first thing we want to do is open the computer, look on our smartphone, watch a movie. Do, those are all good things. I'm not saying they're, they're not good things. Um, but to just be able to be alone, um, I think it was Blaise Pascal said, um, you know, a lot of problems in this world happen because people can't spend 10 minutes alone in a room uh, and, and be okay with it. And, and so we compulsively run after more stimulation. So it seems to me things that are not terribly stimulating, um, you know, prayer, I think can be a really helpful thing. And if, you know, find a place, uh, a way of praying that makes sense to you. Uh, some people use, I, I like icons, you know, uh, images, um, a candle, even uh, music can be helpful. But some way of praying that is uh, also reading, uh, you know, there's a thing called Lexio Divina, which is a slow reading of scripture, which is, you know, just say, I'm going to, um, one of my college classmates, I talked to him the other night, you know, he's reading the gospel of math of uh, Luke mm-hmm. uh, each day. He's going to do a chapter each day during uh, Advent, which I thought was remarkable. Um, and he's, you know, he's saying, you know, I just, I want to read it slowly and I want to read it from beginning to end, not just what I hear at mass. And so he's doing a slow reading of scripture to just do that in silence. Uh, it's not a lot of stimulation, but it can produce that depth effect in our person mm-hmm. that can help us to uh, shift from being lonely to, to solitude. Yeah. In our last episode, we actually talked about the classroom of silence. Right. <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard of that from Matthew Kelly. Matthew Kelly, yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And I've been trying to do that practice and it has made a huge impact on my life and actually my faith journey. I find that when I'm sitting in silence is when I actually feel the most connected to God. Yeah. And Father, what you said before too, when we say yes to something else, we're saying no to another thing. And I think that's something that silence brings. It gives us a sense of clarity and it gives us the ability to say no to things and people that aren't right for us because we're very clear on Mm -hmm. what God wants. Yeah, absolutely. But you wouldn't know that unless you, unless you really stop Mm -hmm. and, and really go deep rather than wide. 
um, yeah, I tell that to college, to the UNI students here. I said, you know, you think a great adventure is going wide, you know, traveling the world and, and having all these experiences where, again, they're all really good things. But actually, the greatest adventure and maybe the more difficult one is to go deep, you know, to simply go deep into life experience and to not always have to um, just add more and more. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but I feel like your generation, my parents' generation, you know, is keeping up with the Joneses, getting the car, getting, you know, the big house. But with our generation, it's like, how many experiences can I have? Where can I travel? And it's so easy to get caught into that comparison trap. Like, oh, she lives in this city. She has that job. Or, oh, she traveled there last week, you know? It's, we're right. always comparing experiences and going wide and not necessarily deep. I like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, my general, I never was in a plane until after I um, graduated from um, college. I mean, I never had the ability to, I didn't. Uh, so my first time in a plane was to go from Minneapolis to Tel Aviv. I was in seminary and we had a semester in Jerusalem and uh, which was a great experience for me, but, and I, I do like traveling and things, but I, I think we can get so caught up in, uh, that perpetual looking um, for the width, you know, I need to have more and more experiences. I think you're right. There's a generational difference. My generation was focused on things, accumulating mm -hmm. things. Your generation is focused on accumulating experiences. 100, I 100% 100 agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't Father Shetta the best? I sure hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, but before you go, you should know that we're giving away free stuff. Yes, I said free. To two lucky winners, we're giving away a $25 Amazon gift card, a very detailed and all around beautiful prayer journal, and the cutest, most stylish ball cap, you guys. To enter to win, all you have to do is head over to our Instagram page at underscore feel your soul, and you can find that Instagram handle in our show notes. And then on our Instagram page, like our giveaway post and tag two friends who you think would love our page. Plus, you'll get a bonus entry if you share our giveaway post to your story. But if you share our post to your story, be sure to tag us so we know that you shared. And one more thing. We are so glad you're here and can't wait to continue to grow in faith with you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll catch you in the next episode.